unwritten rules. There might be something in your mind that you hold to be true or take for granted that probably isn't a universal truth. When commercials, they pour liquid into a glass with ice and it's a fake sound. It's like, (laughs) I'm like, just record real liquid. Like this fake liquid sound with the bubbles kills me. I don't know why, but my brain goes, no, you're lying. You're a liar. (laughs) Y'all are lying. And like, you think this is going to sell more things if you like overproduce this liquid sound, but it's it's so fake to me. What if it is not overproduced? They're just miking it closer than we normally hear it. And that may be it too. Yeah. And I just don't like that sound. Pull the mic back. Pull the mic back, baby. But like every time I'm like, oh, it happens on the radio a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sound. If it is fake, what do you think they're using to make the fake sound? I don't know. I don't know. I hate it, though. Um, and I wish it would stop. <laughs> Hell yeah. These tools are for you to lose. These tools are for you to Hi, this is Dave Marr, host of This Is Your Afterlife, and if you are listening to this episode, there is a very high likelihood that you have clicked on it by looking at the title of the podcast and the title of the episode, so you know that this here is a tribute and a an offering of the conversation that I had with Jonathan Giuseppe a little over a year ago in the middle of 2022. Jonathan has passed away. It's been a couple weeks. And I spoke to him on the podcast. And... I don't I don't I don't know what to say. I haven't I haven't been taking good care of myself the past little bit. I've been distracting myself a lot. And so I haven't really processed Jonathan's death very well. It, it it still feels very, you know, I spoke to them on Zoom over, you know, it feels like they're there. It feels like she is in LA and I can, I could just shoot her an email and we could talk. I met up with Jonathan once a month and we talk about this in the episode but once a month for about for over a year I think in like 2017 2018 which is a really really formative time in my artistic life I it it was as I was getting ready 
to a- apply for and and secure the details of my first run of shows at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, bringing my first one-man show to the biggest arts festival in the world. And Jonathan was on a similar path. Jonathan is another comedian who made one-person shows uh, with, with storytelling in them and heightened theatricality in them. And there's not a lot of people in the world who I feel a kindred spirit with in terms of the path we're walking. Most most of those comrades are, are people who practice other art forms, music or comics or there's not there's certainly not that many other weird comedy theater artists who want to do it independently who I feel that level of kinship with. And Jonathan was one of them. And so every month we would meet up at Pick Me Up Cafe back when it was in Wrigleyville, one of the sort of last vestiges of old sort of dingier Wrigleyville in Chicago. Uh, This sort of like college-y hipster, back when the word hipster meant something, cafe, and I would get pancakes, and Jonathan would get different, I think maybe the Garlicious Breast sandwich sometimes. I don't remember exactly. But I would have a notebook, and I would list out our goals for the month. And I was very frequently just overloading, packing things in, listing, you know, five to 15 goals some months. And at the time, Jonathan... Uh, this was right before he got diagnosed with cancer. And so that really affected the time that we spent together. And you'll hear them talk about the, yeah, you'll, you'll hear them talk about that. Jonathan also began to explore their gender by painting drag faces on her face. And you'll notice that I have used all the big three pronouns to describe Jonathan. That is intentional. I hope I am not doing just d- doing an injustice to Jonathan's memory. I do that because when we spoke in this conversation, Jonathan talked about feeling gender full and feeling different kinds of joy from being called different, you know, all the different pronouns. So yeah. So, so those, those drag makeup sessions led to, well, you'll hear that, that discussion because the original episode that I released was a truncated version. Uh, There, there are some standard questions I ask on this podcast and those tend to structure the show but oftentimes especially with someone I know well we can spend five to 45 minutes catching up or just bullshitting or just sort of a warm-up it almost does I've started to think of it. it it kind of harkens back to 
my improv days, and I know Jonathan started as an improviser as well, or was an improviser. I don't know, I don't know what his first comedy forays were, but I know he went f- from improv through stand-up and into this sort of one-person show realm. And in those, you know, you do warm-ups before an improv show. And that's how I've started to think of these conversations sometimes. So what you're getting is the the most complete version of what I have left on my hard drive of that conversation. I've included everything that I've got. And it's so so it's 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 a less produced version of the podcast, but I do that because I want you to just be able to spend time with Jonathan. If you didn't know Jonathan, I think you will really appreciate hearing someone being candid about mental health, about cancer, about love, about gender, about their artistic process. Um, I mean, the, the, these are very much, the, this is the stuff of this is your afterlife. And I'm very grateful to have this and to be able to present it to you. And if you did know Jonathan, I hope this is something that can comfort you. I have become aware recently of how useful it is when someone is going through something, when someone loses someone, the 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 best response I've found recently has been to ask them to tell me about that person. Not to say, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, so, so sorry for your loss. So, you know, if there's anything I can do, let me know, put put the onus on them. To know, just say, do you have any good stories? What were they like? And so this is what Jonathan was like for an hour and a half in July, 2022. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm not happy that this is a second This Is Your Afterlife guest I know of who has passed away, the first being Mimi Parker of the band Low. I certainly would not like to keep this pattern up, you know, if no more guests died, I think that would be fantastic. There's a real way in which this show is me trying not to die. So I hope we can start setting that as a as a pattern and just solve the problem of death. I, uh, yeah, that's obviously more about my uh, complicated relationship to the subject matter. I, yeah, at this point, I need to get out of the way and let you listen. I think I have provided the the framework needed. And um, thank you for listening. Uh, if I haven't said it already, my name is Dave Marr. <laughs> I'm obviously the host and, and producer of the show. Um, I'm a comedian who survived a coma uh, nine years ago at this point. 
and uh, was almost pronounced dead myself and and was and was eulogized on Facebook. And so there is a there's a weird way in which a, a part of me expects everyone to get that is like, okay, well, so I, I heard about this on social media, but they're coming back, right? Um, yeah, the truth is, I, I don't know how to, um, how to, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have, have any, any summaries for Jonathan's life. I just know that he was really important to me as a frustratingly positive presence and friend um, at a time when I was really getting serious about creating the work that I still make. And um, I got to witness his cancer diagnosis and the beginning of their journey into coming out as non-binary and, and learning more about their gender. And, um, yeah, I, I, I cherish, I cherish that. I cherish the, the precariousness and the preciousness of that year and those accountability meetings Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so rest in peace. May her memory be a blessing. This is what Jonathan Giuseppe was like to me. Did you get the lady? Yes, I did. Recording in progress. This meeting is being recorded by the host. Let me get back the, the full screen. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. So the only thing oh, to let go. you know in advance is it. So I'm like producing at the same time I'm recording here. So I'm like, oh, noting, yeah, yeah. Noting time codes and stuff. So if there's ever a moment, sometimes, especially with comedians, we feel the need to like keep talking until like the person we're talking to gives us like a pop or like an acknowledgement. But yeah, yeah. if there's a long silence, it's not that you're bombing. It's that you nailed it so hard that I'm like leaving space for an edit point. So it is the opposite of what it might feel like. Gotcha. Anyway. Cool. Yeah. Um, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's good to see you, man. I know. Uh, it was crazy to text you and be like, oh, my, like to see the last texts were like, hey, we got to put the uh, the old accountability meetings on hold. And I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. OK, so give me. Give me your name and your pronouns. Sure. Uh, Jonathan, he, they, she. I use them all, baby. OK. What, do, any, 
Tell me about the, the relationship between these three pronouns in terms of frequency of use, context of enjoyment of when they're used. If I'm, if I'm giving you an intro and I'm only using one, am I doing you a disservice or is that? No, neutral? no, not, not at all. No. Um, yeah. Like the pronouns thing, it's always been like tricky for me. Um, when someone uses they, I, it, you know, I feel seen, it's nice, but also there's a part of me that's like, um, I feel like really gender full. So like they is like, um, so for me personally, um, it just feels like genderless. Mm. So like, so like, um, that's why I have he and she like I'm on there too, because I'm like, uh, sometimes they doesn't feel that great. So I'm like, you can do whatever the most important thing from like, I will never feel, um, I don't know, uh, like, uh, it won't make me feel weird if you use any, any pronoun. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause that is, dude, we were like really at, I think crossroads for each of us when we were going through those, but I think we had, what we had like over a year of pick me up meetings, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was when I was in, um, treatment and it was when, um, I was like, yeah, it was a really pretty, um, intense time because I came out like a year after treatment um is non-binary yeah so it was like a really big shift <laughs> yeah especially you know I'm from Texas so like right it was really heavy like my family almost um broke apart uh really I, yeah it was like really I mean my sister she's she's like a poet, you know, she's cool. Um, she gets yeah. it and it's not a big deal, but everybody else was like, it was a really big, um, really, really, really hard for them. Yeah. Um, how could you do that to your family? You know, <laughs> but how could I be there for them more? Yeah. yeah right. How was I not there for them and during their to help them navigate their bigotry? It's just right. It's right. Hard. We have to really like bridge the aisle, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cause your cause like we got to a point because I think that was right before I went to Edinburgh the first time. Yes, yes. And it was right oh, no, you, as um you would come back for a while. Because I remember oh, okay. you were talking about because I was asking you how Edinburgh was and you're like, it was great. It it felt like um it, you liked it because it was like this is my job. Like I go promote during the day and then like I just have this job where I just perform at night and you were like you were enjoying that aspect yeah those are the days mm. um and you were like making you were like doing faces that was like your one thing <clears throat> and you like felt bad that you're like oh, I'm just gonna like do two faces and like that's it and it's like turns out that was like very important that that Ooh. was like the thing to be accountable for really? you know yeah you're well and I was also going through cancer treatment so sometimes my accountability list would for like months Stay alive. just feel good. Yeah, like I would yeah. Want, just try and feel good. Yeah, yeah. Like on my accountability list. And and it is like that's all I could really do. And like and when I was making, you know, I was painting my face, I really was like not ready to come out as non-binary um yet, like when I started. Yeah. So I would yeah. just kind of tell myself like, 
until like everybody like you know i just want to learn the art of drag makeup you know like i'm is, which is legit about my identity at all i just like art okay like it was yeah, like yeah. very you know yeah and of course it was just it was a way when jacob and i there was a drag queen in chicago who's a who was an improviser who yeah, um i think you posted about her i uh, yes yes um ginger forest and um so I would go paint with Jacob and, um, but it was a way for me to feel just comfortable putting makeup on yeah, and just like really get used to it. It wouldn't, and like, um, it made me so happy, you know, but like, I was still afraid to, um, go to the, like, like, I really wanted to live <laughs> this way. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't the art. I was like trying to figure out a way of like, can I just like wear eyeshadow and lipstick every day? Right. Um, I wanted to live like this. Um, so I was trying to like get enough confidence and feel comfortable enough to do it. So like those, those sessions were really huge um, for me. Um, yeah. I mean, like even the first times I would go out in women's clothes, it was like really intense. Like my heart would be beating yeah. and I'd hit the door and I'd be like, fuck. But um, what I would do is just go grocery shopping. <laughs> because it was like, and I'd make a list of everything I needed. So it would like keep me really grounded. It's like, okay, I'm in women's clothes, but like, I'm just picking up an avocado like everybody else. I'm just making the dinner for my husband. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it keeps you like, you know, you can't like go, uh, at least for me, I couldn't go like, you know, maybe to work yet or, yeah, yeah. or stuff like that. It's like, let's just do a simple activity. I mean, Eddie Izzard, I would look before I came out, I would look, you know, what she had done. And she said she had made a calendar and um, she was just for a month, she was going to dress the way she wanted to every day and just try and not break the, break the pattern. Yeah. I was like, okay. Like that, it like, they kind of, you know, she kind of like, um, did like organized herself, like gave herself the structure to help herself come out. Cause it's kind of intense. Yeah. Did I always wonder about that from the, uh, from the like mentors perspective, if they're like, if Jacob's like, I know what's going on here, but I'm not gonna push. J I, when I came out to Jacob, Jacob was at least in the, cause I came out to Jacob during a text and Jacob sent a thing of like Beyonce like falling backward and, he, and Jacob was like oh my glob like he he really thought that I was just a a cis man really? yeah he was like he was like oh this is really cool that a cis man just wants to mm -hmm. do you know do drag which can happen but um yeah that was not my case yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um how are you doing uh, cancer-wise? Are you like completely in remission at the moment? I'm completely in remission. I just got a CT scan in July and they said no signs of disease. Wait, July, it's- Oh, right. sorry. Um, when was it? It was June. Okay. Yeah, because my next one's in September. Okay. Um, June, July, August, September. Yeah, it was in June. And so, um, yeah, so that's really good. Um, I still have like, what I'm dealing with now is I want to get like back to like exercising and stuff, yeah. but I can't like this chest is very 
there's a nerve that runs over your where my ribs were uh-huh. and it's like still um it hurts so i have a lot of pain um, from the chemo port or from something from like the you? surgery because they had to take the, the surgery was so intense they took three ribs um my lymph nodes in the area they took an artery and they took a wedge in my left lung like so i was out for like six hours um and they were just the plastic surgeon who is fucking amazing he said he's because there was a surgeon who just took everything out and the plastic surgeon rebuilt everything yeah yeah so like i have one big titty one small titty because okay. they had to move muscles over my heart and then over the section of ribs so like this this chest muscle is like really um small and you can kind of see my heart beating it's oh my god for real yeah for real <laughs> like you can't see the muscle of it beating but my chest just goes like you can see it now so it's like a little i mean lots of shit happened to me so do you um, feel like do you feel um fragile as you're like out in the world are you like oh if i move the wrong way if i bump into something i'll you know um well like for me i i want to get like back to normal so like i i've been doing what for me is like i've been actually pushing myself too hard Mm. and i think making the nerve um like flare up with pain yeah because i want to just get like so it's not i need to just take it easier actually i think i'm trying to bump into be like i'm normal again and it's like no 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 um yeah you're not that's so crazy yeah removing ribs now you can suck your own dick right i can't because um (laughs) because they put in a mesh that's hard i'm like come on what the fuck dude yeah not cool Not, not cool at all a mesh like it's like a mesh rib cage basically basically and it forms to into your muscles and it just makes it really hard like so it goes into the flesh and like um makes it really hard they were gonna do like pig skin um there's something with like pig skin or they were gonna do um 3d printed ribs but those aren't like um that would be kind of cool but um and it's not like uh, totally um, tested out. Mm-hmm. They're like, just do the mesh thing. I think the mesh sounds cooler than 3D printed ribs. Oh, you have to do yeah. it once a year? No, no, no. Oh, um, but okay. 3D printed ribs can like come off. Uh, it's like kind of like, you don't want to fuck with it. Let's just like do. Yeah. They're like Mr. Potato know. ribs or something. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, just give me the old style, <laughs> old school ribs. Yeah. Yeah. The mesh. Um, how's what are you doing out there at the moment right now i'm still recovering from surgery um and i've just started um my creativity's back because i was just kind of you know it was hard to like well actually i did write a new show during treatment but it's a little too much where (laughs) like i don't want to show the world this it's just not maybe in years from now i'll be Mm -hmm. able to um somehow i have like really good a really good like 
um, 20 minutes. That's really funny. That's um, great. That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. Um, I saw the, the shit story that you posted. Yes. Yes. That uh, was literally, I think of that image maybe once a month since I, since I saw that. That it was, I, there's a certain level of like scat stuff that I, that I think my brain, I don't even feel prude, but I'm like, I hate this. This is disgusting. I can't deal with this, but oh, yeah. the, but it was so funny. And so <laughs> I, so, you know, kudos on that one. Yeah, no, that one was really fun to write. And that was like, when I was like, I was like laughing, writing it and, I did it on um, the podcast risk and like expanded yeah. and like, um, and I found more jokes um, and I was like, dude, this is great. Like, so wait, do they own fun. it now though? No. So okay. I sent, um, I read the release and they never talked to me about this. So like, so they just sent me a release and it was like, we own the rights. And if we ever make your story into a, a movie, you'll get a hundred dollars in a special thanks. And I was like, yo dog like i'm gonna this is doesn't work for me yeah. and like i you know so i sent it to my friend in um who's a lawyer and i was like hey like can you can you read this over like is this right and he was like this is totally you know that's not. what i've heard yeah and so we he sent back a revised thing and then they were like they were like okay like you know so I, I, he, he protected me from, from them owning it, which I yeah. was, I was really scared of because I don't want them to own it. You know, it's my story. Like it's that my is, life story. Dude, to say a hundred dollars and a thanks in the, like that almost seems like they're asking for you to be like, yo, what the fuck is happening? That seems like a joke, like a slap in the face. Like, just don't say anything. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, just like, don't say anything. Just say, like, we'll own the rights. We'll own all the rights. Right. That would be easier to ignore than like, and we'll give you $100 and a special thanks. You'll be in the top 15 of people thanked in the credits. Right. Yeah. It, um. So I was, yeah, it did feel like, Jesus. very my gut dropped when i when i read it yeah, really, yeah, i was like yeah. oh my i was like what did i get involved in like <laughs> i've never had anybody yeah. try to yeah. own the rights to my life like it, especially like if you're gonna own the rights to my life like you need to have a sit down meeting with me we need to talk about right this. right you need to give me some fucking money like like you can't just slip that in an attachment in an email, dog. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was like really kind of blown away. I was like, whoa, yeah. But it all worked out. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Thank God. Thank God. You know, um, my friend. Uh, I had a friend who was a lawyer, and he was like, he 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 made it right. Yeah, so good for you. What's Katie doing? She just got a job as a. Um, well, during the pandemic, she was uh, going through um, social work school because she wants to be a therapist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so she just got a job with um, Jewish Family Services. And so she's going to be, a, a, um, I, I believe, a therapist with them. And she's going to get her hours, like supervision. You need like two years of supervision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we're LCSW? really. CSW. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Is she Jewish? 
She's not no, okay, but okay. I guess they, um, yeah, they hire. Because you did stuff, didn't didn't the like school you worked at wasn't that like a Jewish school? Yes, yeah, and it, it well it wasn't a Jewish school, but it was um, basically when the teachers went on strike, um, and they said we need like we need a break during the day, um, then um, JCC was a small um, the Jewish community center had teachers. Um, you know, just at the Jewish community centers. But when the teachers requested their uh, um, break, then the JCC came in um, and they expanded to the public schools. So um, they came in and filled that void that, uh, you know, was was missing. So we, we would basically take the kids to recess and le- let the teachers um, just chill. And then we would run lunch for the teachers. So the teachers yeah, didn't- yeah didn't have to run we would run lunch and recess and then i would do after school and that job was the the best job i've ever had i absolutely loved it but the jews have been good to your family basically for sure for sure yeah um yo how are you feeling okay say we were to do like accountability right now would you be complaining about What's your relationship to jealousy, to ambition, to achievement, to public recognition right now? Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm trying to think of like how I really feel. Um, I mean, like my, my, my want, like, I'm very happy, um, just like with things being simple, like, you know, like, I just like, um, I don't know, maybe it's because the past year has been so traumatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, it's nice to just be in my apartment with Katie and, um, just watching TV with our cats. And I'm like, I find a lot of like peace there. Um, And I'm not as right now, like not as concerned with like making a living doing comedy. Like it's like not so overwhelming for me. Like, um, but I of course still want to pursue it, but I don't have the like, um, like, I don't know, like things changed too after I'd made Cancer is Gorgeous where I was like, I kind of like pushed myself as hard as I could. And I think it was the most vulnerable thing I've ever done. And I like prove, kind of proved to myself that I was a good artist. And so like, I don't feel the need as much to prove to the world, like that I'm like, I don't need to like make it. Cause like in my mind, like I already have made it. Like, I don't know how what i could do now that would prove to my now i just want to do like i just like want to make art because i like like making art but not not to like get somewhere i guess so you've reached like nirvana basically (laughs) (laughs) well i don't know about that but i mean you feel the old like because i've gone through phases of that do you feel any of the old like 
pettiness or sir you were you were always less petty than i was though (laughs) there i there were times when i was like i think i might have finally rubbed giuseppe the wrong way this time and gone too (laughs) far if like shitting on someone um but uh i just i just find that people are very adaptable which is all obviously great but also subtly terrible because it means that like you can go through the most turbulent time and then a year later still be angry at traffic or something like that, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And so do you ever feel the creep in of old feelings like that? Or are you just like, no, I think this might be here to stay this like, simpler more pure motivation for making things no it's a fight all it's still a fight all the time i I don't think you know unless you're like uh, eckhart tolle where you're just like it's i'm just living in the moment you know yeah i still get triggered by things or be like oh fuck like i think all artists are always fighting that if you see somebody get something And then you're like, fuck, why didn't I get something? Why didn't I get my treat? Right. But um, what usually helps me with that is just like what they got is usually not what I want. So like, why am I even fucking angry? Or like, why do I feel like I've like that? Like uh, something's been taken from me because like usually like it's like something that is totally not something I could do or would want to do yeah. like some great things that happen to comedians. And I'm like, fuck. And then I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, like I totally like do not want to do that at all. And that would probably make me crazy if I got that thing. SNL is like the best example of that to me where it's like, because it's such a gold standard of a thing that everyone pays attention to. And especially now it's like everyone pays attention to like, the casting announcements and stuff but it's like even from having friends work there i know that i would not like it it's not my medium it's not my pace it's not my style and yet it is still we're still like drilled even and i i don't think it's just improvisers but definitely especially improvisers are taught early on like maybe you'll get snl like that's like the thing you know and it's like yeah that's a thing that i have to like remind myself like yo that sounds terrible to you don't forget this sounds terrible to you totally yeah Yeah, and like too for me like even with my comedy career as a whole like i had like i'm just a different person i have to realize i'm just a different person than some of the people that pursue different things. Like I'm so different, like, and also like my mental health, like I had a little bit more, I had more trauma than some of these people. So like I had more to like, like I I couldn't organize myself to like go after things because I was just trying to like get through my weeks, you know, like yeah. my mental health wasn't there. So like, I I I just had to like, really take care of myself because like I could want all these things, but like if my mental health is not there, then I can't 
even if I wanted to go get them, I couldn't get them because I'm all fucking fucked up. Like, so like, I really had to focus on my healing, um, you know, and I just couldn't get there. Like, and it's okay. Like there's so many comedians who it takes a little bit longer because they just have more that they are dealing with and they just can't get there right now. And, and that's okay. Like you just have to do what you can do. Yeah. So what you're saying is every successful comedian has had it easy and uh, not really yeah. lived life. And I agree, you know, yeah. you, you said it, yeah. but I agree. They've had no trauma and their <laughs> life has been fucking easy. Yeah. Now. Yeah. They, and but they don't deserve what they've got, but that's good for them. You know, like congratulations, yeah. but I just, I want something a little bit deeper, but that's great that you're satisfied <laughs> with that level of success. <laughs> Yeah, but there are so many comedians where it took them till they're like 40s or 50s because they were just like a very particular type of person where, you know, they didn't fit into certain systems or they were just like working on like, you know, life is life is really hard. <laughs> life is really hard. And, um, you know, it just takes everybody is takes different time. I mean, yeah, I think about I, Abby getting, you know, her show. She was that's so funny. I've just been hoping I have been watching that show for the first time, like yesterday and the couple days before that. That's so funny. Yeah. Abby's a great example of that. Totally. And Abby's like, I love Abby so much um, because she's always like, you know, she was doing improv, always like so supportive and sweet and, um, um, she just, I mean, I, uh, she came to LA and I, I went to lunch with her and, um, yeah, I was just talking about like, okay, like, you know, just things. And I said, her show is so inspiring to me. Um, uh, and because I just felt like Abby, I was like, I don't know how it feels on the inside, but like, I felt like you got to really be yourself in that show. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. like I, I saw so much of just like everyday Abby. And I was like, that's just awesome. And, um, and yeah, she was, uh, she was really cool. Like she, she told me like, yes, it's hard. Like, she's like, I auditioned for like 30 years and didn't get anything because I'm, I look so queer and like, um, and she was like, you know, you just got to make, you carve your own way. And I was like, and I was like, yeah. And, you know, it sucks like that the world doesn't like, you know, push for like queerness, like, but also like, I, I wouldn't want it another way. Like I, I am a very like person who does like to carve their own way. Like I didn't, yeah. I never went through, um, also it was my, my mental health wasn't great at the time, but like I didn't do second, I did the conservatory in second city, but if I really wanted second city, I, I, sh I could have, gotten it but like i think there was definitely a part of me that was just like i didn't really like i didn't really want it i wanted to do right. this weird, like art thing like because i was like kind of digging in this one hole and i was like let me see how far i can go down this hole like i was just interested interested in that same and so like i do like carving my own my own little space it's fun for me <laughs> totally I mean, and it's like, it's hard to ignore when you've been carving that space and you're like, 
you, but but for me, these old barometers like keep popping up where I'm like, this does not exist inside me. This is an external measurement. Why does my brain keep going? But look at this generation of people on a second city stage who started years after you started, you know, where it's again, not my thing, not what I'd want to do. And it's, you have to acknowledge that like, well, dude, if you did care about it, you would be hanging out at that bar. Like you would not oh. be able to pull yourself away from it. Totally. You're it's, you better just acknowledge that what you want to do is a thing you know, you feel so pulled away from these other things that that is a guide of some sort. Yeah, like I think about because um, a lot of people have asked Chris Red, like, how did you? You know, it seems like Chris Red, you know, um, just fucking skyrocketed, right? Mm. And and even so many people have asked Chris Red, what did you do? And like, he always says the same thing, like getting second city stages was super important to him. So he fucking like lived at second city. Right. Like, and he made friends with the owners of like every theater mm-hmm. and like that, but that was like something that he really was important to him. And he knew it was like a big check mark on his list. And it's like, he, you know, he did it, but like, I'm just a different person <laughs> than him. And, um, yeah. and like, if you do want it, you can get it, but you got to fucking live there. And you got to want it and like want it in that. Very and if your body is like, like you literally, your body is refusing to go to certain places. You have to recognize that you might not want to do these things. Totally. And you would be probably be miserable, but it right. wasn't miserable for Chris, Chris yeah. Red. Like this is, this is awesome. Like, you know, I had the thought today because I've been reading this book about anarchism um, and this he's like this one of these kind of like og like black anarchists uh Mm -hmm. who started writing this 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 book that he's revised multiple times uh he started writing it in like the late 70s and he's talking about like the abolition of the nation state and like not and how government has caused is essentially the most harmful thing that has ever been created and it's like hard to argue with i'm just like you know i don't know i'm not committing to any ideology but it's a it's a cool read and certainly there are things that like resonate with me and i'm like dude if the journey that you're on is like toward becoming let's let's say it's toward becoming an anarchist how do you what whatever made you think that you wanted to be doing five minute sets on late night show. Like that's not an, that's not an anti-capitalist, like anarchist perspective. Like if you're, if your soul is leading you toward like, how do we abolish all forms? <laughs> like, how do we burn it all down? You can't like, want to go like do one last set in the building that you're burning down. You know what I mean? You have to like choose between those things. Yeah. Yeah. What's hard. It's hard to like, there's definitely a pull for me. Like I love the independence of being an independent artist, Yeah. but at a certain point too, um, 
I think I'm going to have to, maybe I don't have to do it, but I want to work in a, in a team environment too. Like I want to do that, that too. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm starting to like, I, I want to find a good balance between that. Cause like you do at a certain point, like if you want to get like, I mean, I don't know, but like a way to work on a bit bigger level is to work in a system. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, I, I do want to like um, work on that too, but always keep my like, keep my things that I, you know, just do that, that are just very independent. So I'm just making like that. Cause there's, there are compromises of course that you have to make when you do things in a system, but like, there's not really any compromises you have to make if you're making art, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you rent the theater, you can do anything you want. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's wonderful, but it's also like, um, I would like to work in, I would actually I have to be honest with myself because sometimes I can deny like, Oh, I don't fucking care. I don't fucking want to work in, you know, the system, but I'm just like, no, I do. I do actually would like to work on a television show or like, um, write. Um, I do want those experiences, you know? Yeah. I, I think where I'm personally at is, is at a place where I'm like, you know, cause I'm like still like auditioning for things and stuff. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like, but it honestly does feel like the, the f- most fun way to earn a paycheck to me where I'm like, Hey, if this could work out great, but I'm not like committed to this, to the point of, I'm not going to sign away my life story for a hundred dollars and a thanks in the credits. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But well, yeah. the thing, yeah. The thing with risk is I wasn't, I think I got paid $50 for the show. So like, yeah, it was definitely not worth it. You know, like it wasn't like, even we'll getting... double your pay. Yeah. So you um, want to start this podcast? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Um, the, the opening question I like to ask people is I would like you to paint your hell, a custom hell designed for Jonathan Giuseppe. I think I, I've lived it. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Um, l- like when I was working at the bank, um, like uh, I worked with some pretty, uh, there were a couple people that were really toxic and I was trapped with them for eight hours a day. And, um, and then also like there was the system, like, any form of creativity was squashed. Um, and it was like, it was really a paranoid um, place to work because uh, people get really, really weird around money. Um, like I couldn't even like do, a, I would sometimes just like want to like kind of feel myself do a little dance in front of the teller drawer. Yeah. And like a lot, like people would get freaked out. Like, like you cannot, do anything silly in front of money. Like you, you, you know, and I was like, nobody's even in here. Like, it's going to be okay. Um, and there was one guy who was just like a bully. Um, and I, it sucked working with him. And I found myself at, at the bank, um, Googling the phrase, I think I want to kill myself. <laughs> and just like trying to read blogs, you know, like, um, 
whatever. And it was like, this is really, I need to get a new job. This so, <laughs> so this was a while ago. My hell. Yeah. That was like in 2010, you know, that was 10 oh, okay. years okay. ago. Um, and uh, because when fall. you say I lived through it, my first thought is like, oh, well, so maybe cancer. It's like, no, I, I would rather have cancer than work at this bank again. Oh, for sure. Because like <laughs> cancer is, cancer is like not like doesn't to me feel personal at all. And like, Mm. like that, or cancer doesn't even feel oppressive, but like working at a bank, like, and it doesn't really affect my soul. Like I actually, I actually think cancer, I mean, I say it in cancer is gorgeous. Like I, I thank cancer because it kind of finally gave me the, um, the strength, the confidence. And I realized like, Oh, like I'm really going to die someday. So like, let's come out, you know, let's like try and be yourself in this life. So like, I actually thank cancer for yeah. a lot. I'm kind of grateful to it, but I, I'm not grateful to the, the bank was like trying to kill me, kill my soul. Yeah. My spirit, you know? And so, yeah, that's it. totally, totally worse. I worked at a, at a data sales cold calling center for about, two months and there was one guy who I worked like two computers down from and the day that he I don't know if he left got fired or whatever but he was always very bubbly but then this day I saw he looked and he what he was googling um how do you know if you're having a panic attack and I was just like Oh my God. Like at the time I thought it was really funny, but the more I think about it, I like feel for him. But at the time I was just like, why are you looking this up on a work computer? (laughs) Like, yo, you just exhibited a symptom. Like this is the symptom dog, like run away, you know? Yeah. 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 Just like you realize, I mean, how many people are living in quiet desperation it's a, it's a, it's a sound, you know, if you think about it too much, you're like, whoa. Um, yeah, yeah. It gets real heavy real quick. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you just see how many people need therapy. Um, yeah. And who probably aren't getting help. I mean, I needed to be in therapy when I was working at the bank and Googling, I think I want to kill myself. Like it's mm-hmm. funny, but it's also like I needed help and I was like, not getting help. Yeah, there should be like automated mental health days or something where it's like you you Google the, the wrong thing or you go to the, the vending machine enough times and order the wrong specific thing where they're like, hey, actually, um, no, no judgment. But turns out we uh, you have an auto therapy appointment tomorrow. It's like, yeah, oh, cool. Thank yeah. you. Totally. Yeah. Well, like, did you watch? Um, uh, was it severed that? Oh, severance. So- severance i haven't seen it i haven't Um, figured out apple tv yet yeah yeah we i got it like free for a little while um uh for some reason and so we watched it and it's like very they have them go because people want to fucking kill themselves in this in this job and they have them go to this like therapist who like kind of recalibrates them so they don't have a freak out and they can just keep being productive like they get them their mental health back to a state that's like functional. Right. Right. And right, just right. send them right back out. 
I've been going on these job interviews and by going on, I mean like zooming on to, and I had this awful one last week where, uh, this guy asked me to name my top two qualities Mm -hmm. and I asked him to be more specific and he said in life. And I was just like, okay, dude. And and I asked him to tell me more about the job. And he said that was for the second interview. And I was like, and he's like, this interview is just to figure out if we're a good fit for each other. And I was like, okay, I think it might not be a good fit. And he yeah. just said, okay, and x me out of the Zoom room, which is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I feel like in those contexts, what a good fit means is like, are you willing to eat the specific kind of shit we are going to dump on you? That will determine, are you willing to debate, to be debased in the specific way this job will debase you? If so, welcome to the family. Yeah. 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 Totally. Like I, I mean, I'm just like, I've learned about myself over the years and realized like there are just certain jobs I just can't with my particular personality I can't do um and like my family was always like please for the love of god like my mom up until like a year ago was like just I don't know she found out for a friend of a friend like who sold pharmaceuticals she was like and made good money she was like no be a pharmaceutical salesman and she's like please and it's like I like do you know me at all like and I think for a long time I was I was willing to do those jobs because like not that I ever got into pharmaceutical sales, but like yeah. working at the bank, like it's so different than what. But for some people's personality, it, it doesn't feel bad, and they mm-hmm. they like they're like cool, like this is all I like like want, like it doesn't feel you know weird or hard, and they don't have that like thing in their gut. So like I, you know, when I moved to LA, like. I found a job as a job coach um, working with people with developmental disabilities. And it's like, it was like a great job. And I loved what I worked with. And I'm like, oh, like I need, I can't be at a desk. Like I'm just not that type of person. Like, so I don't even try to apply for those jobs. Like I'm good at like working with kids. I'm good at, you know, being a job coach, like, you know, Um, so I just like learned about myself more. So I don't even, don't even try those jobs that are like fucking, um, would be really uncomfortable for me. So what do you hope happens when you die? Um, I thought like there are three things, I guess that are like, I think might happen and I would be okay with any one of them. This is a fan. One of them is a total fantasy and I know it doesn't going to happen, but I hope it is okay. like, um, my, uh, mother-in-law, she always says like, you can smoke cigarettes in heaven. And I'm like, that's how she keeps herself from smoking. Um, <laughs> she's like, I'll just like smoke nonstop in heaven and there's no consequences. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I love that. Like I, w- I would love a heaven where like I'm smoking cigarettes and I'm drinking martinis and like, there are no consequences. And it's just like kind of heaven, you know, maybe I'm on a beach, 
that kind of like really relaxed heaven. Yeah. Um, two, um, have you ever gone down like um, a reincarnation wormhole on YouTube? Uh, not on YouTube, but depends on the type of wormhole, possibly. Like there are some really, and who knows if they're true or not, but they just tickle tickle me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is like fun, fun to like, you know, I would just, um, I'd be up late at night and go down some, but like there's fun, like, you know, a kid who's born and he knows all of these specifics about right, right, right. somebody that there's no way he could know or she could know mm -hmm. um, or they could know. But um, yeah, so like reincarnation, I would, that, that seems pretty cool. Like I would um, like that. In what way? What would you, what would, how would you like your reincarnation to go? Like, would you, what would you like to be reincarnated into? Oh. Um, I guess like, just to, like, I would like to be reincarnated into like, uh, this is like maybe sad, but just like a family that had less trauma, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> so another human being. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. and also like, I could be reincarnated into um, like, I don't think humans is the top. Like, yeah. I would love to be a turtle. I would love to be an otter. I would love to be a little dolphin swimming with my friends. Um, I think that is much a more, much more relaxing life than uh, being a human so like mm -hmm. i would totally i would love that actually um just be a little little otter hanging out with my otter friends okay there's a thread running to running through these first two and i'm curious if it reappears in the third one so the the third one is like when i was really um you know times were really hard during cancer i would like uh, and like you know i was doing traumatic things like i was awake for one of my port surgeries like um jesus on purpose like you had to be yeah it was just like like they didn't want to pay for like the anesthesiologist so like they just numbed it and put a blue thing over my face so like i had to like learn meditation techniques so that I don't disassociate so it's not traumatic okay. so I I would do um uh Han uh Han meditation uh breathing meditation and um he's all about uh no birth no death um the idea of like his like metaphor is like he looks at a cloud and like there's no birth certificate for the cloud and there's no death certificate you know it's like it's a cloud but it's always it's just changing. There's no death, you know? Um, so like, I think what it, what I probably think happens when you die or like what I would be totally fine with is just like, I just become, I just change and I, there's no consciousness, human consciousness, but I'm just like, I just want, I would, I would love to just be a wave in the ocean that doesn't even know it's a wave. Like I don't want, like I'm just like energy and like there's nothing left of my consciousness. And I think that's probably what happens. And I'm like totally fine with that. <laughs> um, 
Like, so it seems kind of nice. You almost, it almost didn't reappear, but it mm. did. And the thread was water. Oh, you had beach in the first one. Mm-hmm. Most of the animals you mentioned were turtle, otter, dolphin, water animals. Yeah. And you got to the wave metaphor of the ocean at the end. Is there some, what is that? How, do, how does that feel when I bring that up? Well, like um, when my initial ending to Cancer is Gorgeous, yeah. I just wanted to end the show, like my last lines are like, I love and accept you exactly as you are. Commit to loving and accepting you fully to the best of my abilities. Um, I love you, Budger, which is my mom's nickname for me. And then I just wanted to end the show with um, the sound of flowing water. Um, and I don't really know why. <laughs> why? Uh, but like, I think there's there's something like about the presence, just listening to water is, um, is makes you present. Because I wanted to, I wanted, and I end the show by saying like, life is so uh, overwhelming. Um, and if I can leave you with anything, I want it to be a calm resting place. And, um, and then I was like, well, like a calm resting place would be just listening. Like I wanted them, I wanted the audience just to like, look at that 15 foot cherry blossom tree and just hear flowing water and like, just feel presence. Like that, that was my goal. Um, and, uh, um, I just wanted them to like sit there. Um, and, um, you know, yeah. So maybe that's it. <laughs> so what about funeral planning? Do you have thoughts there? Yeah. Like I want it to be, um, just a really, you know, fun, queer wedding i mean not wedding funeral Um, like um and just like people telling fun stories and like i i I don't um yeah i don't want it to be of course people will be sad but i want them to have a good time we were you um you know the song come sail away uh Uh So we, we were in the car the other day and the radio station played the Cartman version. Okay. And it's so funny. Like, I forgot how funny it is. Okay. I was like, I told Katie, I was like, maybe we play that at my funeral. Like, that would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like so funny. Like, you forget. And he does the whole song, too. Um, and I was just like, and she's like, okay, noted. Um <laughs> So maybe I'll play the Cartman come sail away <laughs> at my funeral. Oh my um, God. What else then, does a queer funeral look like to you? Um, I just want people to like, I don't want them to have to uh, um, dress uh, in, in a sad way. Mm-hmm. Like I want them to um, like, if, if I can give them a gift, one last gift is like, just express yourself however you want. Like, I mean, one of my inspirations is uh, um, Harold and Maude, Maude from Harold and Maude. Mm-hmm. And like, she goes to a bunch of funerals, but there's a really cool shot where 
everybody's exiting the funeral and they're all in black and like, and, um, and they have these black umbrellas, but then she has a yellow umbrella and it's a really beautiful um, shot and a really beautiful message. And like, she basically brings that kid back to life, you know, like she literally puts his head, like there's an art piece in her trailer and he literally puts his head through a, a pussy and, and comes back to life. And then, and then she has um, uh, a mask that you, she, you can smell uh, different smells. So she puts it on his thing and he's breathing in. He's like literally coming back to life, you know, mm-hmm. and he, and it's like, um, he's like, what? She's like, what is it? And he's like, oh, whatever. And it ends up being a New York City street corner. It's like this um, smell of it, you know, smell. Okay. Yeah. And like, she's a, she's a big, um, that character is a big influence on me. Like, I want to be, be like, be like her, you know? Um, I just like love that movie. I just love her. <laughs> be like her in what way? Was she... So she was like, she's, she, um, she's like so filled with life, you know, and she doesn't follow the rules that are set down. Like she steals anyone's car. Not that I want to start stealing cars, but, um, she's kind of like a metaphor, but like, she doesn't believe in like all the rules that are set down. She doesn't follow them if they don't serve her. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, yeah, she's just really life affirming um you know and yeah i just and she she even says like i fought all the the battles in the 60s you know she was on the front lines at picket lines and stuff and she's like now i fight in my own you know individual way um just by like literally like how she lives is like an affront to the system you know yeah and she says like she asks harold like you know, what do you want? What flower would you be? Because I think she takes him to like a, a garden. He's like, I don't know, one of these fucking things. Like, <laughs> and it's just like all of them look. He's like, she's like, why do you want to be that? And he's like, because they all look the same. And she's like, well, they don't. Like, what, some of them are bending this way, some of them are bending that way. Um, you know, and she's like, a lot of pain in life comes from people who think that they're not. You know, there's nothing special about them. They have nothing to give. Mm. um and but they are unique you know so she's just like kind of a little muse i love that i i I will watch that movie when i'm feeling down or depressed yeah okay next question is more of a prompt and the prompt is to relive one memory because Uh in my second one man show there's there's a I tell everyone that we're in the afterlife and one feature of the afterlife is that you get to fully drop down into and relive one memory as if it's a room that you can pop into and out of whenever you want but you have to pick one if that were the case what memory would you choose to relive I'd probably do my wedding day okay um because it was, it was the only, it was so joyous. And I was literally filled with bliss. Like I was high as fuck and I hadn't taken any drugs, like totally blissed out. Um, it was crazy. 
um, I would probably do my um, my wedding day again. That's funny because so many people describe their wedding day as stressful for them and it being about other people. But it was for you as rewarding as it feels like it's supposed to be. Yeah, and, and Katie and I kind of organized it like that so that it was just like, uh, we just did what we wanted to do. You know, there's a, there, it's just your party, you know? And so you can organize it. However, like someone was like, what are your wedding colors themes? And we were like, what? Like yeah. we were like, I don't even want to fuck with that. Like, uh, we don't do that. <laughs> like, yeah. we're just having like, air. Like, I, I'm not even going to worry about that. What? And um, so we just like put wildflowers on all the tables and um, had a mixed match of chairs. And like, it was just exactly what we focused our attention on what we wanted. Uh, Which was what? We wanted everybody to feel comfortable. And, um, and like when we, we want also wanted people to be fed immediately. So like right when you walked in, you got a fucking um, appetizer and you got a beer or a cocktail. Like, because like at a lot of weddings, you've been getting ready all day and you're hungry, but then you have to sit through this fucking ceremony that's going to wow. take an hour and a so half. before the ceremony even. Before the ceremony, we gave people food. Yes. And it was really comfortable because we knew we had been to weddings where like, you're like, really hot you're really hungry and um we were like we don't want to do that to people so we we said immediately give people food and that was awesome and i so love it, that so smooth and so then what was the venue it was odoro gallery which is um a classic car it was an old classic car um uh like gallery but they don't do that anymore so it was just this big room Okay. They, they turned it into a brewery next door. In uh, Texas? In Illinois? It was in Chicago, yeah. Okay. It's like downtown, yeah. Okay. And um, also, like, I was an emotional wreck declaring my love to Katie. Like, I couldn't even think about my vows because I would start crying. So I was like, just don't read them before. But then but I saw, you had written them. Totally written them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, don't even, I couldn't even think about them though. And so like when I started, saw her walking down the aisle, I was like, started crying. Like it was, it was so much emotion that poured out of me. Um, and uh, I don't know, there is something about declaring your love publicly that is really powerful. I mean, that's why I, say my vows and cancer is gorgeous. Cause I'm like, yeah, it's like really powerful. How does that feel when you're like, like, do you, how'd you feel about putting your vows in that show? I would, I would, I would question myself about the like privacy of it. If I were, if I were, I'm, it's hard not to, it's hard to say what I'm saying without implying judgment. I swear I am not implying judgment, but I'm genuinely wondering what your thought process was because the thought process I would have would be, am I selling out this private thing by putting it in this show? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Diamond and I, before we wrote the show, I mean, I came up with the idea 
while I was getting chemo. And I said, if I ever do a show about this, I want it to be um, an expression, every element to be an expression of love or a celebration of life. So like when I'm writing this story about Katie, like it just beginning, middle and end, how we met to us getting married feels like a natural climax, right? And it's like, how do you like, <laughs> and also there's no more bigger expression of love than the one I did. It's like, right. you, you have to like, why not use your life it's the, if it's the most powerful thing? Like, what? why worry about being a, a sellout to who, too? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Totally, totally. Like, it's like, and it's also if someone in the audience is like, oh, my, like, is rolling their eyes at, at my expression of love, then, like, then maybe this show is not for them, you know? Like, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> like, worries. Yeah, like like if you don't like love, then um, then don't come to a, a show called Cancer is Gorgeous. You know, yeah. Like if I if I miss those people, I'm willing to miss and not look like cool for those people. If I can get the people who want who want to hear that shit. Um, but Katie wasn't like, oh, that was kind of our like private uh, private thing. I I don't want to share with everybody. No, no, she's she's um she's cool um like that and like she yeah yeah but she, but also for katie like people would come up to me like oh my god like i want to meet katie it's like yeah. it's just like all about this you know this love story and katie's right. like i'm just a person and like for katie it's not like she's lived it so it's not like this like epic story of love it's like she's just like yeah we're married and you know <laughs> i love you to death yeah. But like, it's not as big of a, it's not that big of a deal. Not, not that it's not a big deal, but like, it's just all the drama is happening inside you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, She's like, yeah. oh, that's, that's Jonathan. We're sitting on the couch and like inside you, you've got the fireworks going off and you're like, ah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But, and I explained to that she felt it too. Like that's how we got engaged. I mean, our engagement story is crazy. It's like, she was on, I remember I, I tell the story like, two weeks into dating, she was just like on top of me in bed and she like tears rolled down her eyes and she was like, I think I'm falling in love with you. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it was intense for her too. It wasn't just me, you know? Um, no, of course. And I didn't mean to imply that it was- Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, okay, so what, so- But I am like a more intense person emotionally. Sure. Than, you know, so I, yeah. Yeah. What else the wedding? give me the other aspects that contribute to it. it. It sounds like it's a lot about, I mean, talk about being intense. It's a lot about reliving the intensity of this heightened experience. Yeah. I guess like that's, you know, that's a, my brain probably went to like that because it's the most emotionally like blissful thing, but like also you know, in my vows, like I talk, I say like, you know, there was a day where we just, it was so hot in our apartment and we were like in our underwear and we went and got these Italian sandwiches and we watched RuPaul's Drag Race and like nothing special had to happen because it's just like being with her is already the thing that is so special. So like it, I could li relive the day where we just got sandwiches, you know, and like, and just watch TV. And that would be pretty 
dope. Like I'm really, I would be really happy with that too. You know? Yeah. What other aspects of the wedding day stick out to you? Or are there just elements of the wedding that you want to brag about that you're like, we also did this. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, well, Peter Kim did the ceremony. Like mm -hmm. he, married us and his um speech was really really funny um he was like really great and but really also really heartfelt but um he fucking nailed it um and i was uh so it was great to kind of uh i think we picked the perfect person because peter knows me really well and he's known katie since san francisco so he's known katie much mm. much longer than me so like they've been good friends for a long time oh wow and Peter just had directed me and Grief is Horny. So we got really close. Um, so he was like the perfect person to kind of like um, wed us. Okay. So the right person. The right person. Yeah. And I, and at first I was like, oh, we'll just like marry ourselves. Like let's whatever. But like, I can't like say enough, like the wedding day is so much. Give as much responsibility to every everybody else so that you can just be there in the moment and everybody else is sort of carrying the weight. So like, cause it's, at least for me, it was so much, so emotional for me um, that I, I couldn't have like gathered everybody right. and done my vows. Like everyone it's time to uh, for table eight to go get their, uh, to go get their meals. <laughs> table eight. Yeah, you're just like trying to say your vows and eat and drink and dance. And that's all you want to do. Yeah. What about, wait, when was this? Was the, and, and where was this in you? Had you come out? No. Then? Okay. No, but I, I, I had been painting my face. And Katie's like so amazing. She was always supportive. Like she bought me my first contour palette. She bought me like mm -hmm. makeup. Like she was always very supportive and. So when I came out, maybe it was an adjustment for her, but she wasn't like, she didn't need, you know, she was just super supportive, you know, super, super, super lucky. I guess I ask because one aspect as an outsider that I've gleaned from queer culture is a tendency to, like you're talking about with Maud of Harold and Maud, uh, rethink every institution and ritual and think, okay, why am I doing this? Does this serve me? What is a family? How do I want to constitute my family? Uh, what is a partnership? Do we want a wedding? Do or not? What made you at that time decide, okay, yeah, we want to get married as opposed to who cares if we call it marriage or not? Yeah. I don't know. There were, we like, that was just important to us both. I think to get married and like to, to, I can't really say why, but like I, it was, we both just wanted to be married to each other to kind of like make it, a, make it like, there's something about the ceremony that like is was important to both of us and like even we could have just gotten married and gone out of the courthouse but i think 
too, you know, like that was an option, but we didn't do it. We, we invited all of our friends. I think there's something really important about having your friends and family there to like support you on this big thing that like isn't, isn't, was important to us. Maybe it's not important to everybody, but that was, I was like, oh yeah, like I want to do it. (laughs) I want to do it in front of people. Like there's something almost psychological about like just pushing you off in a really positive, on a really positive note. So it sounds like the communal aspect of the ritual was important. Does it feel like it upped your commitment to each other? Like, did you notice a change to the relationship? No, no. Um, I think we were all, we fell in love so hard. We were always like super committed to like, mm-hmm. like Katie's one of those people, like, I feel like I've known her my whole life and we've ne- we've only, we've only been married for five years you now. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we've always, we just felt really, really close, really quick. Um, I didn't, yeah, I don't know why, because, and I am always grateful for our relationship because I've been in bad relationships that was just a mismatch, you know? And I realized that I'd got really lucky to find somebody that I get along with so well. And we're just like such a really good team. And who were the people you were in the bad relationships with and how, how would you rank them? <laughs> I wasn't even... I'm just kidding. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> just bitch about that yeah, yeah. the rest of the time who are the worst people you've dated and what are their social and, media handles yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, um no but i actually i've had exes and i wouldn't say it was a bad relationship but they um um an ex it just didn't work out you know yeah uh messaged me and said that they were like really proud of me and like um they saw my Instagram pictures and thought it was really beautiful. And I was like, Oh my God, it was so sweet. I was like, you know, I was like, this is really this, you know, they didn't have to do that. And that was a sweet thing to do. It goes like a good um, closure. Cause in like, in a good positive way, like we wished each other both really well. Yeah. Sometimes things, you know, things just don't work out, but it's not like you hate them. No, of course. Of course. Yeah. So what's your coma? And by that, I mean a moment of transformation where before you were one version of yourself and after you were another. And I don't mean to imply that just because my coma, one of mine, was an actual month-long coma, I don't mean to imply that it needs to be that grandiose. Yeah. But what is... What is a moment like that for you? Well, de- definitely after cancer the first time and like, you know, deciding to come out was changed a lot for me. Um, you know, uh, that, I would say that was my my kind of coma, my moment of like, like transformation into like, self-acceptance and um and also just like going again like there is a reason i waited till i was 32 because you are you know 
being out and being yourself is wonderful, but it also sucks ass because the world is, it, you're going up against forces, you know, and it, it makes it hard. Um, but I guess I decided like the kind of pain of not being myself was, was so much. And I was willing to risk a lot to uh, live my truth. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was it. That was so you moment. got cancer. This is when you were, weren't you like driving Lyft or something? And you, and this thing in your leg, you were like, oh, maybe it's cause I'm driving Lyft too much or something. Yeah, I thought it was a muscle I had grown from hitting the gas and brake, like, <laughs> right. you know? And like, literally this 12 year old girl at the school, cause I would work as a after school teacher, but also I would do Uber and Lyft on the weekends, you know, to yeah. make money. And um, she would like fist bump the lump on my, on my leg. And then her mom is a surgeon and she went, she came home, she came into me one day, like came into school one day and she was like, so I talked to my mom and I was like, yeah. She's like, she said new muscles don't just grow. And I was like, <laughs> okay and i was like so are you saying this is a tumor and she was like yeah you're gonna need to go get that checked out and i was like okay and so how like, old was this girl so this 12 year old girl named penelope Amazing. diagnosed me with cancer basically damn good on her yeah she she was she was really funny she was really great so without having you have to rehash the cancer is gorgeous show you get this tumor you get what, because you had chemo a little bit first and then you had the surgery and they cut it out, right? Yeah, chemo and radiation, yeah. Okay, right, 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 um, and, But then they basically cut it off and for a while you were cancer-free, yes? I was cancer-free, yeah. 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 And then, so when it came back recently, was it, what did they call it? Was it, met, was it, did it mis metastasize? What was the like? Yeah, they called it stage four. And that kind of scared me because I was Jesus. like, oh, that's the real deal. There's and not, was, yeah. I know what stage five is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, yeah, there's no stage five. And so like it was, it was scary. And also um, I couldn't breathe. Like, and it was right when the pandemic happened. So I was like, shit, do I have COVID? Oh, so like, wow. I just didn't know. And it was this huge, and it was, there's so much, it ended up the general practitioner sent me to get an x-ray and it just showed all this fluid in my um, chest wall. And so like basically what was happening is there was so much fluid around the lung. It was like somebody putting their hands around um, uh, air, like a balloon and you can't blow that balloon up with all the pressure around it. Whoa. So, that, so I just couldn't breathe. And I, you know, pretty, I could feel my, body just like shutting down like i was pretty it was the closest i've ever felt like oh this is like kind of what it feels like when you die Ooh. like you i could just feel the energy sort of draining from my body you yeah. know but it was the cancer from the leg that had moved up yeah, or yeah reappeared was, there or whatever yeah 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 which yeah. with sarcoma it usually takes place in your limbs and then very often it travels to your left lung i don't know why oh so it actually wasn't in my left lung. It was in my chest wall, huh. um, but it was really close to my heart and it was, it had collapsed the left lung. So, Jesus. and so, you know, I did a year of treatment, but then it started to grow again and it was 
compressing my pulmonary artery, which was really scary. And they're like, okay, we got to do surgery to like get this out because now we're screwing, like your heart starts working, you're, you're done, you know? Right. Right. So it was pretty, it was pretty intense. But, all, but what's so interesting is that this coming out moment happens after the first, I know this is, I know from being diabetic and having people go, oh, type one, that's the bad one, right? And it's like, they're both, every, it's all bad, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. So, but th- so I imagine there is a, there's the bad time you had cancer and then there's the good time. And this was after the good, the relatively more straightforward, less life-threatening time that you came out. Totally. Yeah, this, and the first time it was like, oh my God, like cancer problem about myself. Like I came out, it gave me the strength to come out. But like this cancer was just like, you know, wanted to kill me. Like there was no, I was trying, I was looking for silver linings on this cancer, but it was just like, I even talked to my therapist. I was like, I think this, I was like, what's the lesson in here? Right. And I was like, whew, it was hard to like it. And I was, part of it was like learning how to suffer. Um, what do you know? mean? Like to stop resisting um, and like, just like, like I had to really, I don't like meditate now to like, because I want to become enlightened. It's because I'm like, like I had to develop tools, you know, like to make my suffering less so like I'm, I'm resisting less so that I'd suffer less like because like there was two week there was two week stents where I would get a bag of chemo and like that two weeks is fucking rough and if you're not surrendered to this it's you're gonna make your life even worse so like you I would have to like just surrender like I would have to practice surrendering you know and it's like hard work and and I would you know, and my body was really uncomfortable. So like I would do meditations to see where in my body I could relax because you, you, you go into like, you tense up, you know, you're in defense. Like body scan kind of stuff. Yeah. Like body scan stuff. Yeah. Um, and just like relaxing, you know, like, so, you know, cause when you're tense, also your immune system is doesn't work as well. So like, yeah, I just had to like do that. So like, that was the lesson. I don't know. I actually haven't talked about this with anybody publicly, but like, um, like a month into treatment, my mom called and she was, she had been hallucinating for like, uh, six months, but she was afraid to tell anybody, but she said she had Parkinson's. And Parkinson's can turn into Parkinson's hallucinations. So like, I was really scared. So I had to take off treatment for uh, two weeks. Cause I was like, mom, I just like need to be with you. You know, like I could, she was making like meals cause she saw these people in her house. And so she would, you know, being the sweet lady she is, she would make a dinner for them. And, oh. and I was like, mom, I need to like be with you. Like I, it, it killed me that she was at her house by herself. So I took off treatment and went with her, went to be with her and like get her um, in-home care and uh, um, 
go to the doctor with her, like to try and get her on antipsychotics. But it, it turned out and she was really anxious, you know, like it was a really heavy time. Um, and I had to hold a lot of weight because I was holding the weight of my diagnosis, but also my mom was really scared. Of course, you know, right. she's hallucinating, you know, she thinks these people are real. But she knew that she would have moments of clarity where she knew she had just been hallucinating. Sometimes. Yeah. But she okay. was lo quickly losing insight. Wow. So she just, and it caused her a lot of pain because the hallucinations don't talk back. They're just there. So like, if you talk to them, like, can you imagine like, this is a nightmare. Like, like you're talking to a hallucination and it looks like a human, but then it just doesn't talk back. And you're like, can you please, like, she'd be like, can you please leave? Like, I need to go to sleep. Um, but she was losing insight. So it turned into, um, Parkinson's dementia Whoa. very quickly. Um, so, so I was doing like daily meditations with her because she was having, uh, you know, panic attacks, of course, because her world is changing rapidly. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would just try and at least like start her on a calm, on a calm note, but it was very intense. And so, yeah, that was just like, this so this round of cancer was not only a harder cancer but also my i was dealing with um trying to help my mom so it was definitely a much harder round and i was having to do a lot of work to see silver linings uh this time a lot of work that's so interesting because it implies i enjoy when I learn more about what I'm really asking with the questions from mm -hmm. a guest and what you're kind of implying is that these moments can't really be transformational moments if it's not clear what the transformation is. So like that makes sense that you're, even though we've spent so much time, probably more time talking about, this second round of cancer, I don't know what sure. word you round of cancer yeah, yeah. you use, but uh, is that the first one is the coma because it's got a, a bit of a cleaner arc to it. Yeah. This one's messier. It's um, it's not and it's it, also like the arc was, I'm also, time does a lot of things too so like maybe i just can't see the arc For we're sure. having this conversation now so like maybe if we had it in a couple of years i'll see like the arc um but yeah this one's not as pretty this one's not as like it's it's just a hot you know it's harder <laughs> yeah. you know but also there is you know the this will pass is true too like i went to see my mom recently and like she's gotten more demented but it's actually helped really yeah like her anxiety is like not there like she's not like because she would be like <laughs> like panicking because like right. she, or think she's going through so much like her legs would be cramping from the parkinson's but then she would be panicking and it would like she didn't know how to like calm herself. So that's why I would do those meditations, you know, 
but now like she's a little bit more demented and there's no the insight is totally gone and she's just hallucinating like 24 7 um but she's so she's accepting now of them so she'll walk into her room she'll be like hey guys how's it going um and she's seen people but it's not like she's not like leave the fucking house yeah you know so there, there's not the anxiety there so i just laid next to her and we watched tv and um it was peaceful you know like in that Did she recognize moment. you still yeah like her dementia maybe at this stage doesn't um she totally recognizes everybody she um uh has long-term memory she remembers all of her friends it's just like disorganized thinking mm. and like her executive functioning is just like not really there like she'll like always throw stuff away and like she'll put stuff in odd places in her room mm. she's always losing her phone um but like the same you know the same person's there and like um so yeah, it's her memory is not really gone, but she will sometimes think that my dad's still alive, you know, or she'll think that she'll sometimes think that where dad is, my dad's coming to pick her up, and she's like, "Where is he?" Like stuff like that, you know. Yeah. But, but the the silver lining too, I think, is there a little bit. It's like, you know, we've gotten to a more calm place, you know. Um, and it's just a really, really hard thing to accept. And I think that's the, that's the, and it was hard for her to accept. Uh, but like once you do, then you're like, this is just my new reality. And like, that is where the adaptability is good, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was like, this round was, this round of cancer treatment was, I was like, Lord, I need you to pump the fucking breaks because it was like yeah. it was like the beginning of the pandemic i just right. been diagnosed with cancer and my mom is uh, yeah fuck is doing this and like so i drove back to texas and like i wasn't even going into gas stations i was peeing in like you know mcdonald's cups and throwing mm. them pulling over and throwing it out the window yeah um it was just like it was a little a little bit of like a wild time and i really haven't like I have some store stories from them. Um, and like my mom had a hard time with me coming out, like, mm-hmm. but like we had a really great talk when I was there and taking care of her. And she was like, I think maybe she knew this might be the one of the last times like we really get to connect where she's fully there. Yeah. And so like she said some really sweet things. Cause like before this, it was just really hard for her. Um, she'd be like, don't wear your fancy clothes home. That's what she <laughs> called like, my new wardrobe. Like, you know, she, uh, she's like, don't be too flamboyant. Um, <laughs> but I was laying with her and um, she just said like, uh, she's like, you know, when you have your lipstick on and your makeup, she's like, you really do look like a grandma. And she, uh, you know she's like she really was gorgeous you know and i was like 
oh my god i think i can die now you know yeah, yeah. it was like um a really sweet thing to say i don't think she'll ever she'll still be uncomfortable with it but she yeah. I'm, I'm never gonna have one of those moms that goes to the pride parade and is like i love my queers your child yeah yeah you know yeah but she came as far as she could and i really it was nice um so did, good things have happened in the, the transformation of being out you know after this first time did that at all relate to the way you handled cancer the second time was it did it make it easier did it make it harder did it make it something else yeah i think it was even though the stakes were really high like i mean doing the two-week stint of chemo was the hardest thing i've ever done in my life by far um but also like so all this bad stuff happened but like also like my family would always be like really hard on me because i haven't um like made money doing my career <laughs> yeah and they'd always be filled with a lot of fear and finally my mom said she goes i can just she goes i can just see um that you found peace and i said yeah like because i would tell her like i was like you know i was like mom do you want me to be a pharmaceutical rep or whatever? And I was like, mom, like, you don't have to worry about me. Like I've already won, you know, like it's, I'm okay. And she's, and she goes, I can see that. She's like, I see that you've, you've, uh, you've found peace. So that shifted that, that um, external pressure, I think, because my mom was dealing with so much, she had to like trust that I'm okay, you know? And I was like having to, I was taking care of her. Um, so that was that was good, um, but it was harder. Um, but I did have better tools this time. Like I, I knew I was going to need a trauma therapist. I knew I was going to need. I dedicated myself to like having a meditation practice. Like I set up all my pillars. You know, I was on antidepressants. Like so, it was it was harder. Um, but I, I was better prepared. Um, I wasn't as scared of the surgery. I'd already been in surgery. Mm. Um, and even like, like I, I love life and everything. Like, but also like, uh, I'm, I'm, I've like done so many great things. Like that, I you know, I've married the love of my life. I've like created the art that I want to like. I am at this point, like, if I die, yes, it would be sad, but like, I'm, a, I, I'm accepting, like, it, you know, um, it's okay if I die. Like, well, when the big fact of your life is your work, a calling that has yet to be actualized, when, when you are an, unsuccessful blank type of artist you know in unsuccessful in quotes that leaves first of all it's so out of your control you can never just like manifest success 
as an artist, really. But if one of the great facts of your life is being in the closet as a queer person, despite great risks, it sounds like that is in your control and something that you can give yourself not closure on, but fulfill within yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, do you feel a sense of like, I feel a sense of like ease now, you know, like that I didn't have. Um, so like, yeah, like I just, I think that's why my mom was like, I can see you found peace, you know? Yeah. Because my sister was trying to tell the family when they were freaking out, like, I've never seen Jonathan more. He's been, you know, riddled with anxiety mm-hmm. um, for their whole life. And like, they, you know, they just seem at peace. Um, so all they were so worried, you know, about me. But Ju- my sister, Julie, who's fucking amazing and kind of like has always been supportive and is kind of like, you know, one of my soulmates. She was just telling everybody like, Jonathan's fine. Like, this is actually a really good thing. Jonathan used to call me with intense anxiety that could not be quelled. And that is just not there anymore. Um, Even the way I speak is slower. It's not as rushed. Like it's manifested in so many ways. Um, Have you ever read, uh, um, uh, what is it called? Are You My Mother? By uh, Alice. It's like the, the kangaroo or something at the zoo some animal there is there is an are you my mother yeah like that but um this one's a comic by allison brechtel okay and um it's you you know fun home the i know of it i've never read it or seen the play so it's like the second okay it's like another one maybe it's not the second but um she talks about it's like a comic about their life but also about psychology and it's, there's interesting um, excerpts from different psychologists in there because she's trying to still, although it's about her mother, she's also still trying to understand her father's passing because her father uh, killed himself. Mm. And there's this interesting um, excerpt in there because I, not that, um, like when I was in the closet, I had intense anxiety and also, I'll do like a trigger warning here for anybody. Like I had like suicidal ideation a little bit. Like I'd just be walking to work and it would be like, you should call yourself. You should, you know, <laughs> um, like it would be like 50 times before I got to work. And I was like, I, you know, w- wish that wasn't a thing. Um, You're like, but, I'm going to Google this and then I'll be done for the day. Yeah. Like I'll go to the, get my job back at the bank and I'll Google it. That's how I'll heal myself. Yeah. Um, but I'll find it in some chat room. Um, but uh she has this interesting excerpt that makes so much sense. And when I read it, I was like, oh, fuck, that's what's happening to me. That's why this is happening. And there's this like psychologist, um, I forget his name. It's like something Winnicott, um, Alfred Winnicott. And he talks about the authentic self and the false self. And he says, the false self is there to protect the true self from insult. So... Um, if the false self perceives that you can't, you're, you're because of your circumstances or, or whatever, you can't 
be yourself in life, it will make plans for your destruction um, because it's trying to protect your authentic self from insult. So it, it understands like we're going to shut down the whole system, but it's because it's causing your true self so much pain. Wow. Um, and so I, I read that and I was like, oh, interesting. And it also gave me a lot of self-love because I was like, oh, like this thing that's like giving me pain is actually like trying, my false self is like trying to protect me, you know, like I, I, I it gave me like self-compassion. So the false self was the anxiety and the true self was your identity as non-binary. Yes. Okay. Yes. And when I, when I was writing Cancer is Gorgeous, I realized like, like um, love feels relaxing, you know, real love, like mm-hmm. in, even in your body, yeah, you're relaxed, you know, and you're coming all the time because you're coming so hard and it's so fun. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, like, um, tension, you know, some people have said like tension is who you think, you're, uh, relaxation is who you are and tension is who you think you're supposed to be. Whoa. I've never heard that. That is, oh, yeah. whoa, that's a good one. It's very good. Yeah. And there was like a, there's like a Zen saying of like, knowing yourself is simply being yourself, which sounds so simple, but it's mm-hmm. like, it's just like being yourself like you know like right um like it's so easy but it's hard to just be yourself because there are all these societal rules like you can't just you can just do it but it's very hard to just be yeah um like that's really hard um so yeah that was um those were a lot of the things that i was thinking about when i was writing cancer is gorgeous so i made sure that's why I wanted to end the whole show in a calm resting place. So maybe the audience could feel that relaxation that I came to do. I wanted them to feel that. 